Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you decided to join us. The sandwich generation. Have you heard that term? Are you living that reality? Imagine managing the needs of your children and the health care of your aging parents all at the same time. For many of you listening, I know this isn't a thought experiment. This is your life. And you're not alone. One in four adults across this country is caring for an aging parent while simultaneously trying to raise a minor child. This is the reality for what many are beginning to refer to as the sandwich generation, a term that's becoming increasingly relevant as with the ever-increasing population of older adults, more and more caregivers are being stretched in multiple directions. When I think of my own life and my own social circle, I almost don't know anyone anymore who isn't dealing with some iteration of this, this stretch, almost as if your arms are always outstretched to the limit, trying to figure out how to manage one generation and another all at the same time. It's incredible how quickly I feel like we've gone from some people finding themselves in that situation to many, many, many more. It feels like everybody. But this isn't an issue that's being ignored. State officials in Lansing think they can help some of these families tackle this issue. In fact, this evening, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is expected to formally announce her proposal to provide Michigan caregivers some tax relief during her State of the State address. According to her office, the, quote, Caring for Michigan Family Tax Credit Plan would provide up to $5,000 in tax relief for families, and it would cover expenses like counseling, transportation, and nursing services. This announcement already has some advocates really championing what it could mean for the many caregivers who live in our state. But exactly what could it mean for caregivers who are already stretched so thin? What does caregiving look like locally and across the nation, especially for those members of this sandwich generation? And how could a plan like this affect our broader community? It's where we begin the conversation today, talking about caregiving and the relief that may be on the way for caregivers in our state. A little later, we're going to talk with Wayne State University Associate Professor Amanda Leggett about the struggles that millions of Americans juggle caregiving for two generations, including the effects it has on their time, their finances, and of course, on their mental health. But first, to help us take a real look at what we know about the proposal that Governor Whitmer is set to announce and what it could mean for parents here in Detroit and beyond. We're joined by Danielle Atkinson. She is the founding director 
of Mothering Justice. Danielle, always great to see you. Welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. So I want to get your immediate reaction first to this idea that the governor is expected to focus on uh, in her State of the State address uh, a $5,000 tax credit for people who find themselves in this this stretched position between uh, two generations. Uh, why is that a good idea? And is it enough? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a lot of money to, 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 to a lot of folks, but uh, I know I know how expensive this can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, five thousand dollars can go out the window uh, in a weekend. It feels like uh, when you when you're in this position. So, give me a sense of of how big a deal you feel like this is. It is a medium deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a medium deal. Okay. I'll it is that. <laughs> important, right? Yeah. I think we can talk about the substance of the proposal, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what Governor Whitmer has to say tonight. But the fact is that we, on average, spend $7,242 on expenses for taking care of someone else. Um, other than our children, yes, yeah. and um, and seventy eight percent of caregivers are paying that out of pocket. So five thousand will go a long way. Mm-hmm. I when you were talking, it reminds me of these conversations I had. I was at one conference, and I had three conversations with people who were spending their retirement, what they put away for retirement, on caring for their. Um, loved ones mm-hmm. that they moved into their house. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? It looks like round the clock care, either you doing it yourself or hiring somebody else to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not always covered, especially when you're talking about a caregiver getting respite care, just time to get away. And, you know, I'm very happy that that is included specifically in the language when uh, these early releases, when we're talking about the policy. Um, but we need more. We need more. Caregivers need more. They need paid leave. Um, they need way more than $5,000. But this centers the act of caregiving in a speech that usually, um, and also on a federal level, the State of the Union focuses on businesses and this macro yes. level um, economy when we really need to have substantive policy about things that we're discussing at the kitchen table. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, one of the things I want to focus on really quickly is how insidious uh, this problem is to a family that is trying to get mm-hmm. ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, when you mentioned this idea, for instance, of dipping into your retirement mm-hmm. uh, as a way of trying to care for a parent or, you know, and, and it's not always uh, parents. You know, many times we find ourselves in a position to have to care for somebody uh, else yes. in our family uh, yes. who doesn't have somebody to, to, to help them. Uh, I mean, it, there's a real span of the kinds of relationships that are involved here. Um, but think about that. If you're dipping into your retirement for mm-hmm. that, that means it's much harder for you at yes. some point to reach the point where you can stop working and take care 
of yourself. Yeah. Uh, I can think of another example uh, that 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 I I heard uh, over and over again. People dipping into money that they have saved to send their kids to college. Yep. Uh, in order to to care for an elderly parent or or someone else, something that that none of us would hesitate to do. Right. Yes. Uh, the, there's a reflexive instinct to do yes. that. But then they end up having to borrow money to send their kids to college or have their kids borrow money. From an economic standpoint, this is pushing us backward in a really important way. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a macro issue. Yes, right? exactly. That's not just these families. That is the economy overall uh, is going to suffer because uh, because we have to, to, to do this this way. Yeah. And we're also talking about a perpetuation of systemic inequality, right? That's so right. who does this burden fall most heavily on women, women who are already getting paid um, pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. of men, um, women of color, people who are getting paid pennies on the dollar of their white counterparts, people who are looking to um, to further their own education maybe later in life, right? They waited a little bit. They weren't able to pay for college right after high school. They're going back. Their kids maybe are in elementary school. This is all very familiar to me and very familiar (laughs) with the conversations I'm having with parents. And then mom's got to move in. And these are are burdens that are joyful burdens, right? Mm -hmm. We want to care for our community. We want to care for the people that cared for us. We want to care for the extended family, our chosen family. But when you're talking, when you have to make decisions about the bottom line, it's really hard and it's really taxing, right? And it's things that we can obviously prioritize and you know, a budget is a values document. We say yes. that again and again. And when the governor is putting in language around caregivers and the investment we need to make in them, that's really important. And yeah. also when we're talking about the bottom line, you know, we know that when individuals are able to stay in their home with their trusted caregivers, they are um, spending less on healthcare costs. They're healthier, they're living longer, and it costs less to the system. Yeah. So that's never the frame I'm coming from first and foremost. <laughs> yeah. But for some people, that's extremely important. And it's important to point out that this will save money all down the line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I also want to talk about uh, the the approach here, right? So Mm -hmm. the tax credit is going to help people who find themselves uh, in this situation, uh, you know, because that's that's the the circumstances they're presented with. It does seem, though, as though we are asking people to do more of this than we used to, yes, uh, and that it's unsustainable itself, right? Yes, uh, and so I guess my question is: uh, in addition to a tax credit to to deal with kind of the emergent issue here, which is that many people are just doing this and doing it out of pocket, mm-hmm. um, you know, where are we with trying to figure out how to do this differently? I mean, you should not have to. Uh, because you have no other choice, exactly. Uh, you know, to care for uh, your elderly parents in your home uh, with with your own with your own money. They're, they're, as a culture, I feel like we haven't really started to have that conversation about how we make sure people have what they need in in older age. 
Yeah, it's a Band-Aid. We would prefer not to have the injury, right? Mm -hmm. And when we're talking and thinking about caregiving, there's three really important things we need to think about and keep in mind. One, the caregivers, the unpaid labor of friends and family, paid care workers who is who are underpaid, who are barely uh, able to make a living wage, if able to make that at all, and then the individuals receiving care and that they have autonomy and voice in the decisions about where they go. So we are behind the eight ball in thinking about those things proactively. We need to be innovative. We need to think about raising revenue to pay for really dynamic programs that do not have people incurring the burden. And yeah, it's a really great time when you're filing your taxes at tax time and you're able to be like, ooh, you see that go down, right? When you're on the computer and you're like, okay, that deduction, tax burden goes down, that deduction. But that means you had it and you spent it. When we're talking about people making the least amount of money, they just can't do it. And what are the sacrifices that people are making in their own mental health well-being, financial well-being, and then the well-being of the person who's being cared for. So I am really excited about this initial proposal. I'm excited about it going to the legislature. And in the legislature, we have a care caucus, a newly formed care caucus, um, headed up by uh, Representative Helena Scott Mm -hmm. to look at this to bring in the voices of the disability community, um, the veteran community, um, the aging community, to make sure that we're looking at it from all different angles and then saying, this is good for right now, but what is the proactive plan? Yeah. Um, uh, Do you feel like uh, the governor making a big deal out of this at the state of the state Mm -hmm. is kind of a turning point, I guess, in the narrative, right? There's something Mm -hmm. about making, you know, a proposal like this, the centerpiece of your annual address to the legislature that I I think does have real narrative power. I mean, we've seen governors in the past uh, highlight uh, proposals and 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 then get a lot done. Uh, But but here, I, I guess I'm also wondering whether it is, a more fundamental shift in uh, in the narrative around this this issue. I mean, we, we've been struggling with this for a while, and yeah. I haven't felt like Lansing has been particularly focused on on even trying to get relief for people, let alone dealing with the bigger issue. Yeah, you know, elections have consequences, and who you elect matters, right? We elected uh, an individual who has a personal story and a personal understanding of caregiving in the sandwich generation. Governor Whitmer took care of her aging uh, mother until she passed away while raising her small children. And that matters, right? And I remember President Obama um, in the State of the Union, I can't remember which one it was, saying that we live in a modern family world with madmen policies. Obviously, that reference was more relevant and people understood it more because those shows were on TV. But really talking about how we live in a in a space and a time that our our public policies and our our business policies don't reflect the needs that we have and the demands that we have. So I'm excited about it. And yes, I do think this marks a turn. I hope it continues. I hope we don't uh, just poo poo it and say those are. Those are little issues. Those are women's issues. And we really understand them for what they are, uh, dynamic and important and 
instrumental in building the Michigan we want. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Danielle Atkinson, founding director of Mothering Justice. It's always great to have you here with yeah, us. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for talking about this. Yeah. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Welcome another voice uh, to the conversation to help us learn more about the unique challenges that caregivers face, including how prevalent the issue is. Uh, I'm joined now by Amanda Leggett. Uh, She is an assistant professor in the Institute of Gerontology and the Department of Psychology at Wayne State University. She helped author a first-of-its-kind study into the effect that caregiving for two generations can have on adults who face this burden. Uh, Professor Leggett, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. It's a true pleasure to be here. So uh, you heard me talking there about my own uh, sense of this. Uh, I'm uh, someone in his early 50s, and it seems like everybody around me is dealing with this issue right now. And I, as I said, some of that's about age, right? Uh, my parents, uh, my friends' uh, parents are of that age where we got to make decisions about care for them, uh, but but it but it's bigger than that. I feel like uh, I feel like I'm coming across lots of other people who are not necessarily in that same age group who are dealing with the same uh, the same issues. So so let's talk about this sandwich generation. What is it, and uh, what what do we need to understand about what's going on right now that so many people are confronting these issues. Definitely. So when we think about kind of your average caregiver, exactly as you said, we tend to think of someone in their 50s or 60s, you know, like an adult child providing care for a parent. And when we think, but of course, this can really span the gamut. We see increasing numbers of grandchildren who are caregivers, older adults, it really runs the generational gamut. But uh, when we think about a sandwich caregiver, we tend to be thinking about that adult child who is providing care for an older parent while also having a child at home. Mm -hmm. So usually a child under 18 that they're providing care for while they're also spending significant time caring for an older aging parent. Yeah. Um, And uh why is this getting worse? Why is this putting more strain on families than uh, it, it used to? What what what's happened? I guess uh, both in terms of demographics and the economy that finds more people having to make these kind of decisions. Definitely. I think one big piece of this is most sandwich caregivers are also working. So not only are they providing care for their children, you know, spending significant time caring for their parents, but they're also employed. And so uh, you're running this balance of how do I get everything done for my children, for my parent, while also managing my own, you know, middle age responsibilities of being an employed adult um, and all of the other things that go on with that age group. So 
this can be a very stressful thing. You know, many caregivers really thrive in the role and find a lot of joy and beauty in being able to do this Mm -hmm. for a parent, for example. But it can come with a lot of stress and strain too. And our research has really shown um, that sandwich caregivers in particular report a lot of burden and overload. So overload is this idea that there's just too much on our plate and we kind of can't keep up with everything that we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. So you did conduct this first of its kind comprehensive national study into sandwich generation uh, caregivers. Talk about what we were trying to accomplish with this study and what you learned. Yeah, kind of exactly as you've led into, this is really a topic that hasn't been explored so much, but is a huge proportion of our population. And my colleague at the University of Michigan, Dr. Leon Leon Lai, she kind of led this and I was a a collaborator on this project to really get a national sense of who are these individuals and how do they compare to caregivers who aren't sandwiched between these two responsibilities. Mm. And one really interesting thing that we found is that these sandwiched caregivers are providing just as much care as caregivers who aren't providing care for children. So they are engaging in just as many hours of support for uh, an older parent as individuals who may be a spouse or other relative that aren't providing care for children. So they're in the mix just as much. They tend to report more financial difficulty than uh, caregivers who aren't providing care also for children. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be more likely to be on Medicaid as well as the individual, the older individual they're providing care for, more likely to be on Medicaid. And then compared with caregivers, again, who aren't in the sandwich group, um, they're reporting more uh, financial strain, emotional strain, and overload, as I described, this kind of sense of having too much on my plate. So they're really reporting a lot of financial challenges, Mm -hmm. as well as the emotional toll that that caregiving can take. And we've known this for decades, right, that caregiving can take an emotional toll, but we're seeing this to a greater extent in this sandwich generation. uh, One of the things that also strikes me is the kind of broad spectrum of circumstances that you see here, right? Um, I think sometimes when we talk about caregiving, what people imagine is uh, the most intense example of it. Somebody Mm -hmm. who has their parent maybe living in their home and is 24-7 responsible for uh, making sure that person has everything they need. Uh, there, there are there are lots of different types of this kind of caregiving, though that that also have uh, consequences and and effects on the on the person giving the care. Uh, if you have to, um, you know, uh, if you have to support uh, an older parent, for instance, financially, uh, even if they live in another in another home, outside your home. That can be a, a, a burden. Um, you know, uh, people who sometimes even live uh, in caregiving facilities mm-hmm. uh, maybe can't get all of the support that they need because they can't afford it. And so you've right. got a family member uh, filling in the gaps. Uh, the, the, this is touching so many different people, I feel like, in so many different ways. It just looks really, really different than it used to. 
Definitely. And a big part of my research is actually looking at this kind of broader network of caregivers. So we tend to think of maybe a spouse or an adult child traditionally providing this care, which is most commonly the case. But increasingly, we're seeing family systems engaged in this care provision, right? So as I said, we're seeing grandchildren, um, even college students, you Mm -hmm. know, providing significant care, friends, uh, nieces and nephews, sons and daughters-in-law, you know, um, very many members of the family are engaged in different ways to meet all of the care needs that are there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking with Amanda Leggett. She is uh, the assist- an assistant professor in the Institute of Gerontology and Department of Psychology at Wayne State University. We're talking uh, about caregiving and the many different stressors that exist on people who are caring for an older generation. At the same time, they're trying to raise a younger generation. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is expected during her State of the State address to spend some time talking about uh, this crisis that is uh, that is taking place and unfolding, not just in our state, but, but all over the country. She is prepared to talk about a $5,000 tax credit that might be available for people who find themselves uh, in the situation. We'd love to hear from you as well during the conversation. Give us a call and let us know how this reaches into your life. Uh, Are you someone who is caring for an older adult or parent? Uh, At the same time, you're trying to raise your own children. Uh, What does that look like day to day? What are the strains that you experience? And what are the things that you think would provide you some relief. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can make you part of the conversation that way. We're going to start today with Mary Carmen Munoz, who is the executive director for La Sed in southwest Detroit. Uh, Mary, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. How are you, Stephen? Good, I'm good. to talk to you again. Yes. So, um, Professor, good morning also. Good morning. um, In La Sede, Latin Americans for Social and Economic Development is um, in southwest Detroit. One of our largest programs is our senior citizen program. Um, We've been here since 1965 serving the community. And we found this this growing issue pertaining to the sandwich generation of of people of, of caretakers taking care of their parents, bringing them into their homes, trying to raise their children. But we're also seeing a little bit of a of a of a change in that, and more frequently, where senior citizens' grandparents are once again taking care of their grown children as well as their grandchildren. Yes, mm-hmm. and. This has become a, an increasing issue here wow. at Lassed, and it is definitely a start with what the governor is is um, going to announce today pertaining to the five thousand dollar. But I think that it needs to be broadened a little bit and and also increased as well uh, as the support that we're giving not only the adult caretakers taking care of their parents, but the parents, the senior parents, yeah. now taking care of the adult children and 
grandchildren. Do you see that um, coming up also, Professor? I do. I think you're exactly right. I've seen increasing trends of grandparents uh, really engaged in raising, uh, you know, their grandchildren um, and, you know, being the ones in the home and, and taking primary care in many instances. I definitely am seeing that coming up and increasingly. And I really do. I really do agree with you that there needs to be more attention to that issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about the idea of respite care, uh, which Mary kind of hints at here? Um, that's a piece of the puzzle as well. Definitely. So that, I think, is an incredible service. And it varies really state to state the amount of support for that. But we have some wonderful respite care um, here in Detroit in the broader area. So this is a type of program that allows individuals with disabilities or conditions like dementia, for example, to go in, have social Oftentimes meals are provided and receive, um, you know, that social stimulation and kind of care that really gives caregivers a break, whether it offers them time to go to work or care for themselves. You know, one of the common phrases that we say in caregiving is you can't pour from an empty cup, Mm. right? You have to care for yourself as well or you can't be a great caregiver um, if you're not taking care of yourself. And so respite care is a service that really helps to provide a break so that caregivers can do that. They can take care of shopping or other things that they need to do or go to their job and know that uh, they're, the individual that they're providing care for is getting good stimulation, socialization, exercise, great meals, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. got Amanda Leggett here with us. Uh, She is an assistant professor in the Institute of Gerontology and Department of Psychology at Wayne State University. Uh, She has conducted a first-of-its-kind national uh, study into the state of caregiving uh, in in our country. Um, uh, Amanda, I want to read a Twitter comment and have you react to it. Amanda on Twitter (laughs) says, a tax credit is great when you, number one, had it to spend, and number two, have that kind of taxable income. If you don't have those two things, it's not a lot of health. Uh, Pay professionals more, too, so it can attract and retain more workers. I feel like uh, these are issues that kind of lurk in the background of this conversation. Uh, Yes, a tax credit is a step forward, but there are fundamental parts of the system that just aren't working. And we've got to we've got to focus on those. Definitely. I think uh, that's a great point by the other Amanda. Uh, <laughs> right. There is this, is this whole system of care providers, also professional care providers. Right. Whether it be in nursing homes, assisted living, but also we have many care providers professionally coming into homes and providing family members with additional support. Many people rely heavily on that. And while it can be very expensive uh, for families to pay for, it is also, I do agree with the comment, it, an area where individuals aren't paid enough 
doing this type of work. And I think this really came to a head during COVID-19 when we started to see major shortages and then also challenges of whether or not to bring people into the home. It really kind of spotlighted this issue of how critical this workforce is and oftentimes undervalued because uh, families do often rely on, uh, you know, care care teams to come into the home or through long-term care services to provide additional support when they don't always have the time or means to do it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's go back uh, to the phones here. Uh, Fran in Redford, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hi, uh, good morning. Hi. Uh, uh, I was a, a, a caregiver for 25 years. So I took care of my mother who had... Uh, Alzheimer's and she had osteoarthritis, she had heart disease and, and some other ailments. I just want to point out to any caregivers who are listening, make sure you get a medical power of attorney. You, you are not just someone who is feeding and dressing and, you know, caring for your loved one's home or whatever. You have to be a healthcare advocate for, for that loved one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to, you have to learn to make tough decisions for your loved one. Uh, also, keep excellent records. Keep receipts on anything that you buy for your loved one. Uh, if you are handling your loved one's uh, accounts, uh, keep adequate records there. Uh, you may have to go further. You may need a durable power of attorney. In my case, I had to do that because my mother had Alzheimer's. Hmm. So she could not pay her bills. She could not manage her finances. You, you, you have to, to, to learn your rights as a caregiver in terms of the patient. So you have to learn what the medical rights are for patients. Uh, For example, I had a a surgeon who called me up on the phone. Uh, Hey, Ms. Turner, I want, you know, I I was wondering, uh, could we, you know, do open heart surgery on your mom? My mom was 85 at the time. Uh, You need to do open heart surgery. What's wrong? Oh, well, you know, I just, I just wonder if you let us open her up and see what's in there. That's wow. literally what he said to me. Wow. Fran, um, uh, you said you did this for for 25 years. Um, uh, give us a sense of how you took care of yourself during that stretch of time, like how you held it all kind of together to be able to, to make sure that uh, that your mom had the things that she needed. Well, uh, it, it was difficult. Um, I was single at the time uh, when she started to decline, and I have you know older siblings, but one wasn't capable of taking care of her, and the other one was too busy, you know, living his life. So um, uh, it was a lot of sacrifice. Uh, you don't get you don't get the kind of sympathy or understanding on your job from your boss mm-hmm. that you would get if you had. If you're caring for your own children, mm-hmm. I, I would have to say, well, look, uh, this morning I got to take my mother to the doctor. Uh, I'll be late in for the office today. And, I, you know, my boss would give me the side eye, but he would let me do it. Uh, I had to rush my mother to the hospital. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm calling the boss from the hospital saying I'm at the hospital. I had to rush my mom in last night, 2 o'clock in the morning. My boss, he called the hospital. He, it's like he didn't believe it. <laughs> you know, wow. so it's, it's that kind of stuff you have yeah. to go through as a caregiver, especially if you're single, and it's, and if it's not your child you're caring for, yeah. uh, you 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 do neglect your health. I'm I'm suffering from health issues right now due to the stress that I had as a caregiver. 
I actually got married, had a child, mm. tried to have my own life, all doing that as a caregiver. Wow. I brought my mother. I brought my mother. I literally brought my mother into my own home, had her set up in my house, and taking care of her while, while you know, having an infant child and a husband and a, running a house. Actually, I had to run two houses. This, this is why I say you may have to get a durable power of attorney because I had two houses to take care of. I had my mother's house and my own house. Yeah. Fran, I really appreciate the call and uh, you sharing uh, that, that really personal story. Uh, and and I, I think, look, we could probably spend hours here on the radio listening to people in the same situation talk about mm-hmm. the same things. I do want to go back to where Fran started though, her call, which was with this idea of making sure that as a caregiver, you have the right tools uh, and the right access, really, to be able to make sure you can care for your adult parent or, or, or someone else that you're caring for. It's not a joke. I mean, you really do have hurdles uh, that you're going to encounter if you don't make sure that this is done the right way with the right uh, permissions and and uh, discussions and all of those kind of things. Definitely. Exactly as she pointed out, specifically with dementias, over the progression of a disease like Alzheimer's, uh, some capacity for decision-making shifts over the course of that progression. And so exactly as Fran said, caregivers become patient advocates. And so having things like a medical power of attorney in place can really position you best to be that decision-maker and really advocate in healthcare systems for your family member. And this is a reason why also having an early diagnosis can be helpful. So you can have conversations early on with your family member. What are their values? What are their preferences? What decisions would they want? You know, as time goes on, it enables you to have those conversations early. So you can also plan ahead and be prepared for those decisions should they fall on your plate at some point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Fran, Really appreciate the call and your uh, openness uh, and uh, hope that uh, that you've been able to find some sort of solace in, in the fact that you were able to care for your mom for such a long time. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a really important, uh, important milestone. Okay, let's go to Karen in Macomb County. Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Hi. Um, I know we're running out of time. I'll try to make these points as quickly as possible. Uh, Number one, if people are finding themselves that, sadly, they have no choice but to put their loved one in the nursing home, Mm -hmm. it's an absolute necessity to go to the LARA website, plug in the name of that nursing home, and look to see if they have any violations. There is one particular nursing home chain. They have several locations throughout Michigan They've had so many violations, Mm. I can't even understand why they're still in business, Mm. Um, but they are. And it's horrible, horrible nursing care. Wow. Um, Uh, Karen, you you bring up a really important point, and and I want to just, for people who don't know, LARA is the Licensing and Regulatory Affairs uh, Department at, uh, at uh, at our state government, and they do... Um, you know, uh, review the 
places like nursing homes uh, to make sure that they're they're um, they're licensed and that uh, they're meeting the qualifications to be licensed and things like that. It is great advice that you're giving to to go there and and check out a place that you might uh, decide is right for a loved one. Uh, This idea, though, of the fear and the apprehension that I think many of us feel when we get to that point where a facility seems like the right choice for uh, someone we're we're caring for is is terribly palpable. I mean, there there are lots of emotions that that surround that. Uh, The idea of making sure you know that you're making a safe choice for uh, for that person is is a big part of it. Definitely. I think do your research exactly as she mentioned. You know, sometimes it's easy to see the meals or the amenities or kind of the fancy marketing things. But really what is most important is that that facility is going to provide quality care. Mm-hmm. So do your research, um, you know, ask those questions and you know, so you can feel comfortable with that transition. It can be a hard transition, but can also be a really good transition. And I would say, you know, if your relative does go to a long-term care facility, be present there as much as possible. Get to know the staff, have them know you, um, so that they are seeing your family member as an individual, as a person with a history and a past, not just who they are in that present moment. I think that can really help uh, ease kind of your concerns concerns and your fears, um, be there and and let them get to know you. And you can also witness the care that's being received. Yeah. Are we entering, I guess, a phase where the role of the caregiving facility is also changing because so many people find themselves trying to do it on their own? Uh, are, are facilities maybe playing a different role uh, or are they playing a lesser role, I guess, because so many people have decided either for financial or caregiving reasons that this is better done on their own? Right. I think there's just so many options nowadays. And maybe the role of kind of the traditional nursing home has shifted too, right? It's meant more for rehabilitation often, not as kind of a final destination, if you will. But we have so many different care options from assisted living, continuing care retirement communities. But then we can also have things like I mentioned, respite care or having, uh, you know, care aides coming into the home to facilitate caregivers. So I think the good thing is those options are there. They can be very expensive Mm -hmm. and what works best for one individual may not work best for another. So I think, uh, you know, it's important to do the research and to really get a sense of what's feasible, manageable, and really the best case scenario for you and your family. And that looks different from scenario to scenario. Yeah. 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 Uh, I want to quickly take one more call, Brad, in Detroit. Uh, We've only got a couple minutes left, Brad, but I wanted to get to your story. Yeah. So I'm an example of uh, the woman from El Cid was talking about where we have three generations. I'm in the senior generation with my wife. We're 78 and 72. Hmm. We're taking care of our grandson, who is three Mm. and has uh, autism. Uh, We're getting some help with that. But our daughter and her husband, uh, so our daughter is the one who's working, 
uh, full time and bringing in the income. But her husband has just been diagnosed with bipolar and is an ER situation and cannot find a bed in Michigan where he can get help with his bipolar situation today. And so it's just, it's making things very difficult here. Yeah, Brad, uh, again, I'm really sorry that that you're dealing with that. I do appreciate your calling, though, and sharing that. Uh, Professor Leggett, uh, it does seem like this connects to all of the other deficiencies that we have in the social safety net. Uh, This idea that uh, if you are having a mental health crisis, there isn't a whole lot of help for you anyway. Uh, If you find yourself in a situation where you've got this caregiving stretch going on, that makes it worse. Definitely. And I can tell you, at least wearing my professor hat, being a professor at Wayne State and teaching on issues of aging and the like in psychology, I really emphasize to my students, if you're interested, because most of them come in kind of interested in kids, right? Mm -hmm. Interested in adolescents, because that's this phase of life they've just left. But I tell them, if you're interested in kids, you're going to be working with older adults. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in mental health, you're going to be working with all age groups. Mm -hmm. This is a universal issue. And so at least as a professor, one of my life goals is raising up this next generation to care about these issues, to enter our care, our healthcare workforce with these passions and recognizing some of these challenges. So I really uh, recognize some of these challenges that are being brought up. I, I see them too. And one thing I'm at least trying to do is to prepare that next generation to step up to the plate and to be there to yeah. fill these gaps. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Professor Amanda Leggett, it was really great to have you here for this conversation on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining Thank you me. so much for having me. I appreciate you spotlighting this issue. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.